You are listening to Startups for the Rest of Us. It's episode 550. Thanks for listening to the show, whether you've listened for the 11 years that we've been making it or only the last 11 episodes. Either way, I'm glad that you found us. This show is about building ambitious startups that are bootstrapped or mostly bootstrapped. It's about people who want to change their lives. They want to put something interesting into the world and make money doing it. They don't want to sacrifice their freedom or their relationships while they're doing it, and they find purpose in building interesting products. And that's what we've been talking about for the last 11 years. Today, I talk with Tony Chan. He's a co-founder of Cloud Forecast. That's at cloudforecast.io. Cloud Forecast is a member of Tiny Seed's third batch that we just started, well, it was about two weeks ago as of this release. They have an incredible story of perseverance. They started back in 2018, and as you'll hear, they've applied to many accelerators. They were rejected multiple times, including Tiny Seed. I, I believe they hold the record of being rejected from Tiny Seed the most times and ultimately being accepted after their third application. And it's it's really a pleasure to, to be working with them. But they have just been grinding it out, you know, from 2018, getting to their first 1K of MRR and just pushing, pushing until 2020, passing six-figure ARR and, you know, being able to go full-time on the app. There's a lot to this story and I hope you enjoy it. Before we dive into that, I had a listener named Steve email in because we were talking about sales books recommendations. It was like six or eight episodes ago. He recommended a book called The Only Sales Guide You'll Ever Need. And I checked out the book and what I like about it is it's, it is a broad like introduction to the topic. So if you're a developer trying to learn sales, if you're a designer or a founder or someone who wants to learn about it, obviously we've had great guests on this show. We've had Steli FD, Damian Thompson, and way back to David Heller, who was in Tiny Seed Batch One, was on the podcast a year or two ago. And there's there's often a lot of you know sales talk on here, but there are only so many good resources. And I think that if you're looking for a square one place to start, I would check this book out. I I, I recommend it. So thanks, Steve, for writing in with that book recommendation. It always helps to have, you know, broad reach, that the community is smarter than any one individual. And that is the momentum that we've been working on and, and doubling down on and building for, you know, with MicroConf, it's a decade with the podcast, it's 11 years with me and, and writing and books and blogging about this, it's 15, 16 years now. And as a community, we can do so much more than any one individual. And with that, let's dive into our conversation. Tony Chan, welcome to Startups for the Rest of Us. Thanks for having me. It's kind of uh, a full circle. We've been listening to you all for the last two and a half years, three years. We've submitted questions just to get our name out there as well. And I'm not sure if you remember back in 2018, Francois submitted a few questions. So very honored that I can be part of this show and be a guest here. Yeah, man, it's it's great to have you on. And you know what you and, and Francois have built with Cloud Forecast is uh, is really impressive. And your story, I was telling you offline, your story on its own is really interesting. And that tends to be unusual. Oftentimes I have to bounce into pieces of the story, join it in the middle, because there's just a lot of grinding that isn't that interesting, whether there, there aren't enough highs or lows. And, and your story has a lot of those built into it. Yeah. And when you're in the middle of it, it just becomes normal life to you. And Francois and I were joking, like Francois was saying that Morgan, his wife, was talking about, oh yeah, things are going great. They're growing, you know, they're closing customers. And Francois was like, yeah, that's all true. But all of that was really, really hard. So I think you, you don't really get a good context and, until you share it with other people. And, you know, hopefully it can help other people as well. I think that's what we really enjoy doing. Absolutely. So if folks want to 
check out your app. It's cloudforecast.io. Your H1 is surprised by your monthly AWS cost. Cloudforecast helps companies monitor and eliminate wasted AWS costs without spending significant engineering time and resources. Obviously, a SaaS app with your, you have a hacker plan, a growth plan, an enterprise plan. You want to give folks an idea where you are in terms of revenue, customer base, whatever. If you and Francois are full-time and have been full-time on it and you're a profitable company, but what, what can you give folks an idea in terms of size? Yeah, absolutely. I think we're about two and a half years in working full-time. We started as a side project. We passed six figures last year. And after, I think, working about on this about a year and a half, a little bit, maybe a little bit over that, we started paying ourselves. So that was a huge milestone for us when we started seeing cash flow in our bank. But honestly, we couldn't do it with our wives supporting us. So they've been a big cheerleader financially and also emotionally as well. So that's where we're at at the moment. And customers, yeah, we work with a lot of startups, mid-market-sized companies, anywhere from companies that are 10, 15 employees to 2,000 employees. So we're, we're all over the place uh, in terms of being able to help people just with their AWS bill and get a better uh, handle on it, better visibility, monitoring, so they're not surprised by it. Very cool. Congratulations on that, by the way. I mean, being able to take salaries, obviously a big milestone. You said you hit six figures, that is ARR. Yeah, ARR, so correct. Folks, yeah, mm-hmm. so folks know. And I mean, to get to step back and take a little bit of background, I have an email here, Tony. Oh, no. From September 6th of 2012. Oh, wow. Was that from um, when you were at Drip or Hittail from Perfect Audience? Yeah, I believe this is a Hittail. Let me, let me read this email. Were there a lot of exclamation marks there? Like, hey, no, Rob, how are you? It's not bad. It, it, okay. it is. So it's from Tony Chan, account manager at Perfect Audience. You were one of the first customers, and I remember, like, Brad mentioned you and I think you talked to him on the phone or he like called you or something. And yeah, I I remember that very clearly because you were one of the first customers of Perfect Audience when we first launched. And the reason I became a customer was that literally this cold email. It is one of the few cold emails ever that I have responded to and said, huh, this is really interesting. So this is the email from Tony Chan, account manager, perfect audience. It says, hola, Rob, exclamation mark. (laughs) I'm with with a new Y Combinator company called Perfect Audience that helps businesses acquire customers by retargeting visitors from relevant websites. We call this audience retargeting versus more traditional site retargeting, which we can do as well. We have cookie data on nearly 1 million and growing readers of top design, front-end development, entrepreneur blogs, blah, blah. Blah, blah. You go through some other things. You said, instead of showing your ads to your own visitors, which is traditional retargeting, we show your ads to entrepreneurs and designers directly that have never heard of Hittail. Since 2012, yeah, drip, we didn't even break ground on code in, until late 2012, uh, like December. So th- this is pre-drip. Is there a time this week we could chat for 10 minutes? And I was like, I was super intrigued by it because I was like, wait, people who haven't heard of Hittail? <laughs> My response, hey, sir, nice idea. I'm using AdRoll right now and it's working, but I see the difference value in what you're doing. Then I have all these questions. And I don't even think, I don't even think I got on a call with you. I just rattled off like five bullets and then you responded. Yeah, I think you just signed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This, is, this is cool. So all that to say, you worked at Perfect Audience. You were employee number two, if that's right. And then your co-founder, your Cloud Forecast co-founder, Francois, was employee number five. And Perfect Audience sold, right, in 2014. And you guys had some equity as employees, right? Yep. Okay, so so you did, I, I, I'm reading some notes here, like you grew the business, the team grew the business from zero to a profitable eight-figure ARR business in two years. So you saw what it was like to do that. Yeah, it was it was a whirlwind, honestly. Like, yeah. and I think about it, I can't even remember how we did it. I mean, I do, but it's like the time went by so fast. 
Yeah, I can imagine. And so that was a big moment for everyone, right? And you you were acquired, you went on to, did you work for the acquirer? Yes, correct. Okay. Yeah, all of us did. Francois did as well. We pretty much just took everything out of our townhome that we rented. We had three in like a section and we had a car too. So we had to give them our car that we bought for the company. And yeah, we all went over there and worked for the choir. So, and it was, as you always say, it was a, I wouldn't say it was like, I couldn't work, like I didn't have to work for the rest of my life, but it was a life-changing moment career and money-wise. Like without that opportunity, I would not have met Francois. I probably would not have been doing this or even on this podcast. So definitely a life career moment for us. Yeah. Each of those moments, you often don't even realize it as you're going through them, but all these decisions, right? So then we fast forward a few years in 2018 and you guys come up with the idea of cloud forecast. Where was the genesis of that idea? Yeah, that's actually from the perfect audience days. Francois was one of the lead engineers to build a RTB, a real-time bidder, and Cost has always been very variable in ads. You know, you can just imagine seasonality, right? And as it's growing the business, it's really hard to monitor cost. There's a lot of many different things that we're dealing with. And at that time, we were using a current competitor of ours. They had a free version where it was just a simple email that described, hey, here's your cost, where it's trending. But eventually they raised money, they axed that feature, and they were asking for a lot of money for it. So I think Francois and Casey had that idea. I'm like, why don't we just build something, something really simple, use that email and just launch a service that addresses the needs for startups and mid-market sized companies. So that's something that they've always had and held on to. And I think in 2018, you know, after four years working, like Francois went to Twitter, I was still working for a choir company. Casey, I think was at Instacart at that time. And they just wanted to do something new, something, you know, different from their day-to-day job. So that was like a, a, a startup itch that they had that they just needed to scratch at that time. That makes sense. And so folks know who we're talking about. Casey is a third co-founder that that you later parted ways with. We'll actually talk about that a little later in in the episode. So who wrote the code? Who did the sales? What what were the roles? So Francois and Casey obviously wrote the code. I tried. I actually designed our first front end and it was so janky, but they would look at the code and Francois would just like roll his eyes like, what are you doing? I'm like, yo, it works. You know, that's all that counts. But it was mostly Francois and Casey that did that. I did a lot of the business side and that's why they asked me to help them out a little bit because I have experience in taking care of customers, listening to them, have a little empathy of what they're dealing with. I'm not afraid to reach out to people as well and just to ask for advice or, hey, can you try our product? So that's why they asked me. So and also to work on a lot of the little admin things that come with it, like forming the company, they didn't want to deal with it. So that's why I kind of came on board to help them with that. And it was a good fit. Right. And you launched on Hacker News and you got to your first 1K of MRR and then did it. Well, hey, how was that experience? Was it generally positive or was it kind of a fiasco? So Hacker News can... Yeah, it was absolutely a fiasco, yeah. right? Like you launch in Hacker News and there's a period where things are quiet and you're like killing yourself. You're like, oh my gosh, I don't think this is going to do well. And all of a sudden we were on the front page. And then all of a sudden there was a comments and like it was just all hands on deck. Everyone needs to reply and we needed to, most importantly, just 
answer everyone's questions or reply back as much as possible and talk about something that we just built and we don't really have that much information on. So half of it was just making things up as we went. But it was a very good opportunity because we did get a lot of signups and we got our first, as mentioned, $1,000 in MRR. And at the time, we're like, oh, my gosh, I think we made it. Right. But now looking back, it was just such a small part of the growth in the overall picture of things. Yeah. As, as those product hunt hacker news, indie hackers launches usually are, they give you a small burst, but they're, they're the starting line. Yeah. And I think it's tough to kind of navigate through what is data that you should rely on, right? Versus data that's consistent, reliable, and has good attribution on what you should really do. And I think that was tricky for us because as mentioned, you know, we thought we made it and we were like, oh gosh, you know, if we can do this every single month, we'll be millionaires, right? But I think it can be misleading at times. I think the experience at Perfect Audience kind of helped us temper our expectations a little bit and have good realistic expectation on what to do next. Yeah, it's nice that you had that experience of being inside a startup that, and I didn't get the feeling that Perfect Audience raised buckets of money and it was run like a traditional venture back company. Brad, the the founder, raised a million dollars after Demo Day. So Got it. just the angel round. But yeah, it's a reasonable amount of capital. Like I know it, it can sound like a, an exorbitant amount, but compared to these five, 10, $20 million rounds, that's a really different company. It's still relatively capital efficient. Yeah, absolutely. And it helped him get to where he was at. So it was just enough to kind of get it a profitable part. For him, it was life-changing as well. He's a partner at YC now. You know, it's it was a great moment for everyone. So definitely. Yeah, and that's something that I, you know, when I talk to founders about their launch, it's like, yes, launch is important. You should have a, an email list that you're going to contact. If it's appropriate, you do the Hacker News launch, you do a product launch, whatever. These things are all great milestones and they're great ways to get some attention. But to your point earlier, you have to then learn to, to sift the signal from the noise, you know, because there's going to be a bunch of people who mouth off about, I could build this in a weekend, I would never pay for this, your pricing's too much, blah, blah, blah. Lots of that. Yeah, and and frankly... It's probably not great feedback. It's probably the developer kind of coding in his basement, so to speak. It's probably not going to be your best customer. You know, you're going to make more money from someone who's not on Hacker News. But also, you do have to, you know, I remember when, I mean, geez, when we launched Microconf, when I started promoting Hittail, when we launched Drip, when we launched Tiny Seed, all these things would make it to the front page of Hacker News. And there was some valuable critical, constructive feedback about these things too. And that's the hard part is I think it's a mistake to just dismiss anything negative that comes across these. But I I think there's maybe 10% of it that's actually valuable and you really have to start considering the source at a certain point. Yeah, we completely agree. We definitely had a lot of feedback where it was, I can build this in a weekend. And for Francois, Casey and I, we care a lot about things like just in general, right? So whenever we saw that, it hurt a little bit. But at the same time, there was a logical part of me is like, this is just someone behind a keyboard. It's okay, right? Like we're going to live and everything will be fine. But as you mentioned, it's, yeah, it's important to sift through what is actually valuable and talk to people, right? And get your data points from different sources other than just one small injection, I like to call a steroid injection of growth at that one time. Hey, this is Rob dropping in from a separate time and space to talk to you about Rewardful. Everyone knows it's hard to grow an online business, especially in the early days. People are becoming desensitized to content marketing and paid advertisements. Instead, they're turning to product recommendations from people they trust. So how do you cut through the noise and grow through word of mouth? 
This is where Rewardful comes in. Rewardful has everything you need to start referral marketing for your SaaS, membership, or e-commerce business. Reward your advocates whenever they send you paying customers. Rewardful is specifically built to work with Stripe and automatically handles one-time charges, free trials, upgrades, downgrades, cancellations, and refunds. They can even help you find and recruit relevant affiliates for your industry. Companies like Transistor, Podia, and Bear Metrics trust Rewardful to power their affiliate programs and scale with their growth. Spencer Fry from Podia says, every other affiliate platform we looked at was either insanely expensive or full of bugs, and sometimes both. Rewardful has been rock solid, took less than 15 minutes to install. It's the perfect affiliate solution for SaaS companies using Stripe. So whether you're looking to start an affiliate program, partner program, customer referral program, or all the above, Rewardful lets you manage everything under one roof with a simple 15-minute integration. Get 30% off your first three months by heading to getrewardful.com slash startups. That's getrewardful.com slash startups. Offer expires May 31st. So I want to jump through the timeline, not in order, because I want to gather up this string of rejections that you have. <laughs> so like the tiny seed rejection, let's talk. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> Two of those. So let's go through YC, interviewed for YC in 2018, rejected. Interviewed for tiny seed 2019, rejected. Applied, interviewed for Indie.VC, Earnest Capital, Techstars, Chicago, and Boulder, rejected. But in 2019 as well, you applied and interviewed for launch and you got an offer that you turned down, which I'm fascinated by. So A, there's two parts to this question. I'll start with the first. Were the rejections brutal? Like, did they, did they feel like a punch in the stomach every time? Or did you get to the point where it became motivation to almost prove everyone wrong, to prove us wrong in essence. And and to be clear, when you and I talked, because you and I started talking in 2018, I believe you reached out, you're like, listen to the podcast, I'm building this thing. My reason for rejecting was never, this isn't going to work. It was always, you're just a little too early. That's how I felt. So, but yeah, how did that, how did that land with you in terms of not just our rejection, right? But just being rejected from, from all these places. Yeah, I still like that first YC interview, like when we got invited to interview, we thought we made it like we were like, wow, we get to chat with and interview with one of these like smartest startup people in the world. Right. And we get an opportunity to interview, have them ask questions about our business. And it just gave us a level of confidence from the Hacker News launch to that, which springboarded to that. Right. But Ultimately, like we did get rejected from it. The interview went perfectly fine. We thought that, you know, honestly, we thought we were going to get in, but we did get rejected and it was like a punch to the gut. And we didn't get a response to like maybe six, seven hours later. So we were just hanging out in Casey's home. Francois was in the backyard, just pacing around back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I'm pretty laid back. So I was trying to be chill. He's like asking, how are you feeling? I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. You know, nothing. You know, everyone's just like very distracted at that time. And then when we finally got the email, I just remember Francois just like slouched over a chair put his hoodie on and just needed some time to just kind of process everything. Whereas for me, I, I try to be like very even keeled about things, right? Like, well, that sucks, but maybe we can learn from it. And their feedback was very practical and very good. And without, honestly, without their feedback, and from what I know, this was not typical in terms of feedback. They usually just give like a very generalized feedback, but 
they were very specific on what we need to do. They wanted us to quit our jobs, to work full time, to show the commitment, increase our prices and focus on growth channel like SEO content and code op on outreach. So even though, yeah, it sucked, it gave us kind of the next milestone of our company on what we needed to do. And from that, it gave us confidence that, hey, maybe we should quit our jobs to work on this. Right. And you you applied to all these, their accelerators plus funding sources, venture funds. Why not bootstrap it? I mean, we did bootstrap it, right, to this point. And I think part of it was, I think for YC, it was more like, this is something we wanted to do. So it was more of an emotional reason for applying, right? It was more like, hey, it would be really cool if we get into YC, we get part of program, you know, everyone wants kind of that in their LinkedIn profile, YC company. So I think that's for YC. Whereas the other programs, you know, when you were, when you're going through the startup grind, for us, we're just applying just to apply to see what happens, right? And we always had a conversation with each other, like, should we apply to this program? Like, well, what's, what's the hurt in it? What's the worst that can happen, right? They reject us. If anything, we get a chat with them, we interview with them, you know, we learn a little bit more about our business. And I think there's a lot of value in terms of going through the application process once in a while, too, because they ask a lot of good questions in those in those applications. And just going through all those questions kind of give you a confidence that, hey, I can talk about my product confidently and I can go toe to toe with these people. So I think being bootstrapped was always on our minds and something that we've always wanted to do. But we're like, OK, what's the worst that can happen if we apply to this and let's figure it out afterwards? Right. And then you interviewed for the launch accelerator, which is Jason Calacanis. He's the host of This Week in Startups. He has a fund and accelerator. They made you an offer and you turned it down. So I'm curious what, you know, if you applied to, to these, obviously you were expecting either rejections or, or in some cases offers. But what was your thought process there and not accepting their money? Yeah, that was a very hard decision to turn down the offer. When we first started Cloud Forecast, one of the things that we talked about was what type of company we wanted to build. And the main thing that we all came in agreement was like we wanted to build a profitable SaaS business that didn't overtake our lives. And, you know, we recognized that there was more to life than just our company. Like we were all married at the time. We had other interests, but we were also interested in building a startup. So we interviewed for launch and we got the offer. It was something that we had to talk about because if we went to launch and if you know Jason Calacanis, he's all about building unicorns and going through the venture route. And as we learned a little bit more about the program, thought about it, talked through it, it just did not fit what we thought the vision for the company should be, right? Going through the VC route, raising money, just going through the grind of that, that we've already experienced going through Perfect Audience. And we just wanted to focus on our customers. We wanted to focus on building something that was profitable and something that we can build on our own terms, right? The program is built for and designed to learn how to pitch to VCs. So that's something that we just felt off about and we decided not to go through it. Got it. Yeah, it wasn't as appealing to learn how to hone your slide deck, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I, I am forever grateful for the opportunity, like the whole experience, like we got to sit down, you know, he has this podcast thing and he's recording and I got to sit there and pitch to one of the best angel investors. And 
he was very impressed with us. I felt good and gave me a level of confidence of being able to go toe to toe with someone who is super sharp and super smart as well. So like, even though we didn't take his money, we are so grateful for the opportunity to be able to sit there in that chair where he records all his videos. Yeah, I can imagine. I have a lot of respect for Jason and what he's built. You know, he's an outsider from the Silicon, you know, he talks about all the time, the outsider of Silicon Valley and has made his way in and and with his podcast. I mean, there's a lot of, of commonalities between what we have built in parallel. You know, he's at a, he's at a much larger scale and, and doing it in Silicon Valley and venture scale. But really, if you look at his, he has events, he has an accelerator, he has a podcast. That's why well, I have the similar stuff. Yeah, it would have been just it would have been just a completely different route for our company, right? And trajectory of what we wanted to do, it just, you know, if we did that, I think if we look back 10, 15 years, it would not have sit. Like we probably would like, we did not stick to our convictions of how we should be building cloud forecasts. And that was the main thing that Francois and I and Casey talked about is like, we need to stick to our convictions. We need to stick with what we needed to believe in because without that, then like, what are we doing, right? We're just doing the same thing over and over again. Right. And so based on your convictions, you are a perfect fit for Tiny Seed or Tiny Seed is a perfect fit for what you wanted to do. And But and you, you rejected get, us. You got rejected twice. Oh, twice. <laughs> oh, that hurts so much. Well, let's talk about that. But let's tell the happy ending that you're in the spring 2021 batch. So the third time was a charm for you, you guys. And obviously, congrats on that. And I'm, I'm super looking forward to, to you know working with you this year. Very grateful. Very grateful for that. Yeah. But were the tiny seed rejections especially uh, stingworthy? I, I get the feeling that maybe we may, may have been like the best fit for you out of what you were trying to do. Yeah, I think that stung the most because at that time we also interviewed for YC again and we were rejected. And they said it in a very nice way. They did not think it could be a billion dollar idea. And we're like, cool. Yeah, we agree. And it goes back to the idea of conviction. Like we probably could have got in and had we built and thought of a crazy vision of, you know, how we can be a billion dollar idea, but we, we agree with them that, but the tiny seed rejection was stung a little bit more because we felt pretty good about it. But I think I remember you recording something for me and you made it sound like Stardust for the rest of us. And the advice, once again, advice and feedback from people who've done it just springboarded us to the next milestone of like, how do we continue to grow this, right? And I think you mentioned a few things. One was, it's going to be really hard doing this with three co-founders. You also mentioned that possibly too early at that time. And then I think the third one was like, just related to those two, right? Your money will not go that far because you're supporting three founders that live in big cities. And there's that part where if you're not logical about it, you can be really upset, really mad about it. But there is value in that feedback and it's how you take that and just apply it and to move forward with it. You know, that's really important. Yeah. And that's something I mean, oftentimes each of those points of feedback kind of stand on their own. But oftentimes when I see bootstrapped or mostly bootstrap companies with three or four co-founders, usually there are too many. Usually there's at least one too many and there's like a weak link. There's someone who's not maybe holding up there. And I didn't know, I don't even know if I met all three of you when we chatted or whatever. So I didn't know any details. And I remember couching it extremely sensitively. I didn't say, you need to get rid of one of your co-founders. But I said, here's my perspective. <laughs> I think I have a 
a gut feeling, right? Or an instinct that maybe this is the case. So you have to do some soul searching, I think, on your own and figure out, do you want to listen to this feedback, right? You have to consider the source and you have to consider, you've been working in this business, you've known these people for a long time. I have had exactly, at that point, probably 25 minutes of conversation (laughs) with the two or the three of you. And so there is an art to parsing feedback and advice and figuring out, am I going to be defensive about it? Does this make me feel defensive? And if it does or doesn't, like, which of this should I take? Which of these do I think are accurate? And it's tricky because, like, if you really think about it, any advice is 50% possibly wrong, 50% possibly right. But I think you also have to apply it to your real world and what you're going through and not just take things for face value. And I think being with Francois working with Francois and Casey, like we're all very even keeled people and I'm thankful to have them to be able to go through it and just be able to have just good adult conversations about feedback and the feedback that we get from our advisors and people that we interact with. Yeah. And so in 2019, you did wind up parting ways with Casey, your third co-founder. And I know that that was not, could not have been easy. You want to talk us through that decision and, and how that felt at the time? Yeah, I think we were at a crossroad, right? We just got rejected from YC. We applied an interview for launch, turned down that offer, right? And I think that would have possibly turned, as mentioned, our company into a different type of company. And then we got rejected from Tiny Seed. So at that point, we're like, okay, Francois and I are working full time. You know, Casey, we would really love for you to join us if possible. And I think finding co-founders to join you full time, it's a huge commitment. And I don't blame him for not being able to do that. And the timing in terms of life was just not aligned in terms of personal and also career goals that he having. He was doing great at Instacart or I don't remember where he was working, but he was doing great at his job and what he was doing. So it was a very hard and tough conversation but once again, like I am very thankful that we were all able to come to a point where it was a very fair exit for him. He's still very involved with the company. We're still friends. And you don't see that a lot. You know, you see more of like the part where they don't talk to each other. But yeah, I, I love Casey. I respect the hell of what he's done and what he is doing right now. I think he's working at Guala now. So the first thing that Francois and I wanted to do is making sure that what we and what we're doing to part ways with him, it would be fair for all parties. So when we look back five, 10 years, even in the immediate, we should be okay with it. And that we can still be friends. We still can talk with each other because he played such an important role with starting the company as much as we did at that time as well. So it was tough, but it was also a very productive conversation across all parties. And at the end of it, it was just more of a timing in terms of career goals. And had it been maybe five, six years ago when we're all single, then it would have been a different story. But, you know, the timing was just not right at the time. And my memory was that during, I think our first conversation may have been probably early 2019, if I were to guess. And and it was slow going for you guys. Like it was not, you were grinding, you were doing outbound email, you were trying all the things and revenue was not, it didn't feel like things were clicking yet. Like you were still trying to find product market fit, still trying to find, you know, the marketing or the, the lead gen approach that would work. But it felt like in 2020, I thought, or maybe it may have been late 2019 or sometime in 2020, things started to click for you. What was it? Was it changes to the product? Like did the product evolve to where it was just valuable enough that it made sense? Or did you guys figure out something with your sales process, your marketing process or something else? 
Yeah, I think the huge part is, as you mentioned, finding product market fit. And honestly, like even to this day, I don't feel like I have a good grasp of it, but I think you talk a lot about it, that it's a journey, right? And it's an iterative process where you're constantly gathering data from your customers and building on top of it, improving features and iterating, iterating. So for 2019, that was all like doing whatever we can to have any type of conversations to learn from people and like what we should be building. Because when we first launched, all we had was a simple email report that just sent to engineers directly, letting them know of how costs were and how things are trending, just made it a lot easier for them to understand their bill, right? But as we had more customers in 2019, we iterated on a product, we pushed new features. For example, we had a customer who had their financial team involved with their AWS bill, which was really rare. So we asked a lot of questions like, hey, you know, how can we make your life easier? And he gave us a spreadsheet of, this is how I track my AWS bill. So we built what we call a monthly financial report that summarizes all their costs and everything. So it is an iterative process. And I think we just kept providing more and more value. More people kept coming in organically. So I think that's the thing that clicked was just iterating on our products so it can bring more value to people. So it sounds like it was a lot of, it was the product evolving over time, which is interesting to me because when I think about building a tool to take control of your AWS cost to make you aware of it, I feel like it should monitor that and then like have alerts and have a report and and that's it. It seems pretty simple to me, which is comes back to that whole, I could build this in a weekend thing, but it's actually not, right? The initial genesis of the idea is simple. Yeah, it's a lot more complex than a lot of people think, right? We grab a file called the curve file from AWS and that that thing is a beast, right? And AWS makes changes to it all the time without letting people know. So a lot of Francois's job is like managing that. And sometimes our customers are like, hey, this is off. And then he would go back and like, oh my gosh, AWS made a change without letting us know. So a lot of it's managing that. And there's a lot of other questions related to cost that needs to be answered and problems that need to be solved, like tagging, right? Tagging your resources is a huge problem. Making sure your resources are fully leveraged and not being wasted is a huge problem. So there's a lot of intricacies that come with AWS costs. And some people overcomplicate it, but you know, our vision is just to make it as simple as possible so people can understand and just give the visibility and tools to engineers so they can make the right decisions. Yeah, that does sound like quite a headache dealing with third party. Uh, it's platform risk in essence, right? Is it? I, I guess could, you know, could AWS, if they got mad, could they shut you down or is this file, I mean, they pretty much, now that they allow people to download it, they're not going to stop allowing people to download it, right? Yeah, this file is available to all the customers. So, I mean, there is some sense of platform risk. The joke is like reInvent is the Grim Reaper for a lot of companies using AWS, right? But I think one of the things that we've learned is I don't think they have the incentive of helping people save money and from what we've seen in terms of their growth. So that's kind of the big thing. But there there is some platform risk and we recognize it. And I think you know, YC and their feedback is like, we don't think it can be a billion dollar business. But, you know, long term, we are thinking about like, how can we move beyond AWS into other areas? There are other tools that CTOs and engineering teams leverages, whether it's like data platform or data lake, tools like Snowflake, Databrick that are really, really expensive and very variable. And if you make a wrong query, it can get really expensive. So that's kind of like where we're looking to. And I think that's where TinySeed can provide a lot of advice on how we can think about that. 
For sure. And, you know, it's obvious that stuff really started working because in 2020, as you said earlier, you passed six figures of cross the six figure mark of ARR. You started paying yourselves salaries. That's when, you know, I feel like the business starts to grow up, right? It's like you past product market fit, maybe heading towards what I call escape velocity, which is not just that you build something pe- that people want and are willing to pay for, but the marketing's starting to work. There starts to be some type of engine of people coming and, and asking about you or you have outbound lead gen or you have SEO or you have content, you have some channel, you know, one or more channels that are actually driving customers. And I'm curious these days, what is working for you? Like what's been, you know, working uh, at your stage? Yeah, I think in 2019, a lot of that is trying to figure out and also 2020, figure out what that is, right? And when you first start, a lot of it is just getting any type of conversation you can, even if it's not commercial at the end of it, right? Like there's no contract at the end of it. You have to learn. You have to see where people are hanging out, the persona, defining your persona, defining the company that fits you the best. So a lot of that was spent in 2019 and 2020 figuring that out. And as we got and understand our customers more, the channels that we define as working really well for us is search content, right? Where people come in just organically, we might write blog posts and like, hey, here are some ways you can save money on RDS or an S3 and just bringing value, right? Because you got to know your audience since our audience is mostly developers. You want to build content that makes your life easier and bring value. So a lot of our customers are finding us through that. We're still trying to figure out code outbound outreach. Developers can be kind of hard to reach through that, but there's some signals that showing that's working. So it's being able to do that in a respectful way that's also not annoying as well. So we're trying to figure out that balance. So we've gotten a good portion of our customers through that. The other one is just like referrals. We're getting to a point where an engineer would work at this company and then move to another company. And you're like, hey, we really love the cost forecast guys. And they're really great people to work with. And they would just sign up with their new company. And we're starting to get that. And referrals is a big thing. So within our network, we build a big network uh, while working at Perfect Audience and our careers at Twitter and other places. So we managed to take advantage of that as well. Yeah. And the thing that I liked about what you were up to since the very first time we chatted about cloud forecasts, you know, again, back in probably early 2019, is I think of, of when I, my quick evaluation of a company in terms of, do I think they're going to succeed? Sometimes it's, you know, whether it's, it should tiny seed invest or whether it's just, do I think this company is going to succeed? Of course, I have this big long list in, in a Google doc of all the criteria. It's like 40 something criteria, but really the top line thing is people, product market fit, and pricing or price sensitivity. And when I talked to to you and Francois, I thought, okay, I think when I say people, I mean the founding team, like, are they ambitious? Are they going to show up? Are they going to execute? And the first time you talk to someone, you don't know that, right? You can kind of gauge it. But the second or third time you talk to someone, you kind of can, right? If you watch them over six months or 12 months or 18 months, you start to see the pattern of, well, Tony and Francois are grinding on it. Like they keep working at it. You sent, um, I believe, a monthly update email to me and Tracy and Anar, I believe, but you kept me in the loop. Like you kept making progress. You asked really good questions. I believe there were a few times in there where you reached out and just asked like almost an advising question of like, hey, what are your thoughts on XYZ thing, right? Yeah, Francois even did that like in 2018. Mm -hmm. I think he wrote a few questions for Startup The Rest of Us to get your advice with Mike as well. And I 
went back to the episodes and I was just like laughing because I remember Francois, there was one, I don't remember which episode you can probably put in the show notes where it was like a three bullet point and a question or like comment on something. And I remember just listening to it on my walk to um, a coffee shop and I was just like, oh my gosh, we made it. We're on Stardust for the rest of us. We're good. So, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's the thing too, is when we'd have conversations and they were infrequent. I mean, over this couple of years, I don't know, one, two phone calls a year or something like that, but you hustled and you implemented advice. Like I remember you, you didn't ask frivolous questions. You asked what I felt like. These are, these are sharp questions. Like you're not wasting my time. And then I would give you advice and you would, you would take it, you know, you would go and implement and if it worked great. And if it didn't, then you would pivot from there, realizing that all advice is certainly not, not correct. I was struck by that. I was struck by the two of you. It was showing up every day being good communicators, finding product market fit, as you could just see the numbers transform over the course of that 18 to 24 months, right? You could see it's like, oh, your churn's going down. You're starting to land bigger deals. Like product market fit becomes obvious when you look at those numbers, you know? So it's a cool story, man. I'm, I'm excited for you guys. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a level of humility that you need to have as founders and recognizing that you don't know everything, right? And I think that that's the biggest lesson I learned while working at Perfect Audience is observing Brad and Jordan. They're very sharp people. Like Brad went to Princeton, Jordan's super smart developer as well. But there was a level of humility that they had as founders and recognizing, hey, we don't know everything, but we're willing to find the right people, ask the right questions and see if that's something they can apply in their own startup lives. So we learned a lot from just working under Jordan and Brad and just being really close to them. Well, thanks again for joining me on the show today, Tony. If folks want to keep up with you online, of course, cloudforecast.io, if they want to check out what you're building, your Twitter handle is toeknee123, and it's T-O-E, like a human toe, K-N-E-E, like a knee, one, two, three, and of course, at cloudforecast on Twitter. Thank you for the time, Rob. It was really great chatting with you and catching up with you. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. As a reminder, today's episode was brought to you by Rewardful. Rewardful is quickly becoming the go-to platform to set up affiliate, referral, and partner programs for your SaaS, membership, or subscription business. Rewardful handles all subscription billing scenarios such as free trials, upgrades, downgrades, cancellations, refunds, and prorated charges out of the box with their simple 15-minute setup. They're the only platform that has a built-in affiliate finder that crawls the web and surfaces high-quality relevant affiliates for your program. Simply search by keyword, competitor, or alternative names and reach out to the best affiliates in your market to take your program to the next level. Check them out at getrewardful.com slash startups. That's getrewardful.com slash startups to get 30% off your first three months. Offer expires May 31st. Thank you again to Tony for joining me on this week's show. And thank you for coming back and listening each and every week leaving those Apple podcasts and Spotify reviews, writing in with your questions and sending in your thoughts, ideas, and your thanks. I received another email this week of someone effectively, I mean, it's a big deal. Like I actually get reclaimed about it, but like effectively thanking me for helping change the course of their life. They're selling a software, I believe it's a SaaS app for a million and a half dollars, which 
is pretty life-changing. <laughs> and it's two co-founders and they come from humble backgrounds like so many of us do. You know, so many folks who who participate in this community just were outsiders, right? We didn't go to Harvard or Stanford. In fact, I saw a number somewhere and it was about, it was like 80% or 90% of venture capital goes to someone who graduated from Harvard or Stanford or at least someone who attended one of those schools. So I went into the Tiny Seed Slack and I said, hey, as someone myself who went to public school all the way through grammar school, high school, and college, I am curious who here, you know, if anyone went to Harvard or Stanford. And there, there was just resounding, almost like mockery of like, yeah, I went to this city college or like I didn't go to college or I went to a perfectly good, you know, liberal arts private school or whatever. There was a, there was a range, but at least my, my sample size in Slack, it was zero. Zero of us have gone to Harvard or Stanford. And yet we have been able to build these ambitious startups and to help those who are coming you know, behind us who are in essence uh, maybe a year or maybe five years behind us and to try to help them do the same thing. So that's what I love about this community and that's what I love about being an independent SaaS founder is that there is so much opportunity here and I thank you for coming back and participating and, and again, writing in with your questions and leaving reviews and letting me know your thoughts. I'm at Rob Walling on Twitter and you can always reach me, questions at startupsfortherestofus.com. That actually goes directly to me as well. So thank you for listening and I'll be back in your earbuds again next Tuesday morning.